Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. Today, Dr. Forrest presents part two of the series, Tools of Prayer for America. Say it with me. We're a church growing and thriving, overflowing with love, strengthening the family, transforming the community, impacting the world, where every member is a minister and a church alive is worth the drive. Woohoo! Hallelujah. Glory to God. Today, we're going to continue our series entitled Tools of Prayer for America. This is part two. Now, last week, I shared a dream I had on the 6th of July in which the Lord instructed me to issue tools of prayer and a call to prayer for America. And if you want to hear the whole dream and President Lincoln's 1863 call to prayer, which the Lord led me to seek out in that dream, Please take advantage of our podcast and go listen to last week's episode. But the essence of the dream can be condensed as follows. The Christians of America need to set aside their differences, denominational, doctrinal, national origin, ethnic, political, etc., and answer the call to pray for America. And we need to use every tool that's available to us which the Lord has brought for us and given to us to pray more powerfully and more effectively. In spite of our differences, there's one thing that every true believer can agree upon. If you're born again, and if you've been paying the least bit attention over the last four decades or so, it's abundantly clear that there is a darkness that is trying to overtake this great nation. And in order to push back that darkness, we need to pray that righteousness, truth, and justice prevail here in America. In every sphere of influence, in every city, in every state, and in every election, whether it's local, state, or federal, or national. Amen? This is especially true of the midterm elections coming up this November. Amen? I'm just going to camp here for just a minute. And it doesn't matter what political affiliation you may have or what political party you belong to. If you're a Christian, hear me out now, your first obligation is to vote for righteousness. Amen? To vote the Bible for truth and justice to prevail in this nation. Amen? It's not about Republican or Democrat. It's not about liberal or conservative. It's about righteousness in this nation. Some things are wrong, they're just wrong. Some things are right, they're just right. Amen. Sin is sin, and righteousness is righteousness. Amen. So if you follow the leading of the Holy Spirit and vote righteousness, truth, and justice, you can't go wrong. Here's what the Bible says that the people of God ought to do to help turn the heart of a nation back toward God. 2 Chronicles 7.14 If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Amen. Glory to God. That's the way we need to be praying for America. Lord, forgive our national sin. Jesus paid the price for all of those sins to be forgiven, but America seems determined to walk the way 
of sin and destruction anyway. So, Lord, overlook that, Father God, and bring revival to this nation. Raise up a standard of righteousness that people can look to and say, that's the way to go for America. Let us turn aside from wickedness and turn toward righteousness as a nation. That's the way we need to be praying. Amen. But beyond the call to prayer issued by Lincoln in 1863, and it's awesome, you ought to check it out, or by me and others in 2018, there are tools available for us to use when we pray for America. And the details of the dream that I had made it clear that these tools of prayer had to be balanced upon, derived from, and anchored in the finished work of the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen? what has already been established and what already belongs to us through the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. Amen? Hallelujah. Here are some of the tools that the Lord showed me that were already in our toolbox and we needed to use to pray more powerfully and more effectively for America. Number one, binding and loosing. Number two, Prayer of agreement. Number three, the name of Jesus. Number four, the blood of Jesus. Number five, fasting in prayer. And number six, spirit-led prayer. Now, remember, you can, of course, use these tools to pray for yourself, for your families, for your fellow saints. But the focus the Lord gave me was to use these tools to pray more effectively and more powerfully for our great nation. Amen? And I'm calling you as fellow believers here at Faith Life Fellowship to join with me and pray for America. Hallelujah. Before I go any further, I need to correct a mistake that made it onto the podcast last week. I not only said it wrong, I said it wrong twice. And I want to set the record straight. I was horrified when I listened to it. I missed it, and all that sound editing that I did, I missed it. But what's the matter with you? Pay attention. I said, America is the light of the world. I said it twice. No, when I woke from the dream, the Lord said to me, the reason you need to pray for America is this. Jesus is the light of the world, but America is the conveyor of that light to the nations. As America goes, so goes the world. Therefore, pray for America. Very solemn mandate. Yes, Lord, understand. We need to pray for America. We need to pray for America like never before. There are things facing this nation. We won't make it if we don't pray. We won't be successful if we don't pray. We won't have victory if we don't pray. We can't just sit by and say, God's got this. He's calling on us to pray so that he can implement his agenda for America. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. All right, let's get back into binding and loosen. Last week, I laid a foundation. And then at the very end, I shared a testimony about binding and loosen in which the Lord used my prayers to foil a plot to firebomb the offices of one of our congressmen in Missouri. Amen. I want to back up a bit and build on the foundation that we laid last week simply because there's so much misunderstanding and so much unbelief 
when it comes to this controversial subject. Yes, the prayer of binding and loosen is controversial, but it shouldn't be. The words of Jesus are pretty plain on the subject. Amen? So let's go right to the source, Matthew 16, verse 18 and 19. This is Jesus speaking. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, once again, we talked about this last week, so we're going to go rather quickly. The word translated keys there is the Greek word kleis. It means key. No mystery there. But since the keeper of the key has the power to open or shut, keys are often used figuratively to denote power and authority. The word there translated bind is the Greek word deo, and it means to bind, to tie, or to fasten, to fasten with chains, to throw in chains, to put under obligation, to forbid, prohibit, to declare to be illicit or illegal. Amen. The word loose there is the Greek word luo. It means to loosen anything that is bound in the ways that I just mentioned when we refer to binding. Amen. It's the exact opposite of binding, loosing, to release from obligation. Here's two examples from the Bible, one physical and one spiritual, where both of these words were used. John chapter 11, 43 and 44. And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. Amen? Lazarus was physically bound with grave clothes, and when he came out of the grave, the first thing Jesus said was, Loose him and let him go. Amen? He was bound. Now unwind him, unbind him, and let him go. Amen? Hallelujah. A physical example of those words binding and loosing. The next one is a spiritual example. Luke chapter 13, verse 11 through 13, and then verse 16. And behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bowed together and could in no wise lift up herself. And when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said unto her, Woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. You know, one thing, this is a side issue here, but one thing I noticed when I read that scripture last night is that Jesus declared that she was loosed before he laid his hands on her. Call those things that be not as though they were. He said, woman, you are loose from that infirmity. Then he went and laid his hands on her and it manifested. Amen. There's a lesson in that. And then the religious people got upset because this took place in the synagogue and they were mad because he was healing her on the Sabbath. And Jesus scolded them in verse 16. He said, and ought not this woman being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound, lo, these 18 years be loosed from this bond 
on the Sabbath day. Amen. The woman was spiritually bound with a spirit of infirmity that manifested in severe arthritis, so much so that she was bowed over completely for 18 years. Amen. But Jesus dealt with the source. It was a spirit of infirmity. In this case, a devil was directly responsible for that arthritis. He took care of the spirit of infirmity, then he laid hands on her, and the healing manifested. So you see a spiritual example of someone bound spiritually, which resulted in a natural manifestation set loose by Jesus Christ. Amen. Isn't that awesome? Praise the Lord. It reminds me of something that happened to me back in about 1992. I was preaching on a Sunday night service at our home church, Living Word Worship Center in Minden, Louisiana. And uh, we had a healing line. Uh, The sanctuary was about this size. And a healing line went from one end of the sanctuary to the other end of the sanctuary. And I prayed for these people that night after I preached the sermon on, it is the will of God for you to be healed. God wants you well. There's something about when you preach that it causes faith to rise in the people. And that night, there were several instant manifestations when I prayed for people. For example, the first one I prayed for was a lady who had impacted sinuses. I could see into her head, almost like Holy Ghost x-ray vision. And I saw that the left side of her face in her sinus cavities was just completely black. And she told me, she said, I've got sinus congestion so bad that they're sending me to the doctor to have them scraped out by surgery. That just sounds bad, doesn't it? So I lifted up my hands to pray for her, and I said, in the name of, and by the time I got that out, I felt a spark of electricity come off my hand, hit her on the forehead, and she crumpled to the floor before the catcher knew what happened. He he was like, I'm sorry. (laughs) She She was down, you know. And then I went to the next person, and a few seconds later, her name was Linda. Linda got up, and she, I mean, she booked down the center aisle to the ladies' restroom, slammed the door behind her. I found out after the service, she said, Brother Scott, (laughs) when you put your hand up, I felt the power of God knock me to the ground, and I got up because I felt all that sinus congestion begin to loose, and I made it to the ladies' restroom just in time to put my head over the sink And in 20 seconds, every bit of it drained out of my cavities. In the name of Jesus, amen. This was the type of thing that was happening that night. Man, I was emboldened after that. So I go all the way down the line, about two-thirds of the way down the line, and I start praying for this lady. She's 27 years old, young, single mom, got three boys. She said, I've been deaf in my left ear since I was a baby. And so I started praying for her the same way that I prayed for everybody else. You know, I quoted the word. I prayed in tongues in like three different dialects, you know, and I just got nothing, absolutely nothing. Then I heard the voice of the Lord on the inside. I call it the inaudible voice of the Lord that you hear like it's audible on the inside. He said, she has a spirit of infirmity and she won't be healed if you don't deal with it. I was like, Lord? This is only like the second or third time that Pastor Bill has asked me to preach in this church. So I went back to my praying in tongues, you know, and quoting the word. And two more times the Lord said, she has a spirit of infirmity. And if you don't deal with it, she will not be healed. 
And after the third time he said it, he went silent. I heard nothing else from him, and I knew what that meant. You going to be obedient or not? So I finally made up my mind. All this is happening in my mind. You know, nobody's hearing this conversation. But I finally basically said, I would rather never teach in this church again than disobey the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And so you know what I did? I took my right finger and I stuck it in her left ear. Why did you do that, Brother Scott? Because I saw a healing evangelist do that ages ago. Honestly, that was the only reason. And then I heard myself say these words. I said, you foul spirit of deafness in the name of Jesus. Come out! Her ear popped open instantly. She heard for the first time in 27 years. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. So I had to deal with a spirit of infirmity, which was directly responsible for this woman's deafness. It's not always the case. There are natural, so-called natural causes, but sometimes there is a spirit involved, and you have to deal with the spirit for somebody to be healed. Amen. Now, why did I share that? Well, because whether I use the words binding and loosing or not, that's what was accomplished. You see, we have the authority to bind and loose. And all I said was come out. And that thing loosed her left ear and she heard for the first time in 27 years. Amen. Hallelujah. So you don't always have to use the words binding and loosing to participate in the prayer of binding and loosen. I wanted to get that in before we went any further. Hallelujah. Now, Matthew 16, 19 in the Amplified Classic is classic. Pun intended. And we can learn some things about, remember how we said that everything that we use in the prayer of binding and loosen has to be rooted in the finished work of the cross? Well, the Amplified Classic here in in Matthew 16, 19, makes that abundantly clear. Listen to this. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind, declare to be improper and unlawful on earth, must be what is already bound in heaven, and whatever you loose, declare unlawful on earth, must be what is already loosed in heaven. I love how the Amplified ties the principle of binding and loosing to the finished work of the cross. As far as what Jesus did in his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension in heaven, the word up there is, it is finished. It is accomplished. The work of the cross is forever settled in heaven. Amen. It already belongs to you. So if you want to bind and loose, it has to be something that's already bound or loosed in heaven. In other words, if it is, then heaven will back you when you pray that prayer. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. You you can't just bind and loose anything. It has to be according to the Word of God. Amen. So all we're doing when we pray the prayer of binding and loosing is enforcing over the devil and his outlaws what already belongs to us, what already has been purchased for us. I said it two weeks in a row. I'm going to say it for a third week in a row. It's like when somebody buys a piece of property from you that used to belong to you and you lost it somehow. You gambled it away. And somebody came along and said, I'm going to redeem that property for you. And they give you the title deed. And they say, here's the title deed. The only problem is 
The people that have been living there since you lost the property are squatting on the property. They refuse to leave. What do you got to do? You can't just say it's mine and so they're automatically going to move out, automatically going to move out. No, Jesus said sometimes the violent have to take things by force. You have to go over there with that title deed and tell those people if they don't move out, you're going to call the law on them and they're going to be physically removed from your property because you have the title deed. Sometimes what belongs to you doesn't just fall in your lap. You have to go out and take it by force. Amen. And the prayer of binding and loosening is a perfect prayer for that type of situation. Amen. So let's talk about the origins of the word key or keys, the keys of the kingdom. Isaiah 22, verse 20 to 22. I urge you to turn there because this is, this is such a cool verse. You're going to want to read along with me. Isaiah 22, 20 to 22. And we're going to get into some types, and you might get lost if you don't read along with me. Isaiah 22, 20 to 22. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah. And I will clothe him with thy robe and strengthen him with thy girdle, and I will commit thy government into his hand. And he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. And the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulder, so he shall open and none shall shut, and he shall shut and none shall open. Amen. If you read the whole passage, which I've done for you, thank the Lord, you find out that Isaiah is prophesying to a self-serving and corrupt man named Shebna, that he would be replaced by a more godly man by the name of Eliakim to serve as the courtier of the kingdom of Judah under King Hezekiah. Now, a courtier served as what we would kind of think of in modern days as a chief of staff. He was head over the kingdom and head over the everyday operation of the kingdom and of the house of Judah. King Hezekiah put all his trust and authority in him. They even gave courtiers actual keys, big keys that were symbolic of the authority that they held. Okay, so that's the picture that's going on here. Shebna, because he was sniveling and self-serving and using his position to enrich himself, was removed by God and replaced by Eliakim. So as the new courtier, Eliakim was given authority over the kingdom of Judah and over all the house of King Hezekiah. So listen, here's where we get into types. So if you consider Hezekiah to be a type of the Father God, then Eliakim is a type of the coming Redeemer, Jesus Christ, to whom the Father would one day give all authority over heaven and earth. Amen. Can you see that? He's got the key of David. So, Compare Isaiah 22:22 with Revelation 3:7 and you can see why this has to be the case. All right? I'm going to read Isaiah 22:22 again and I'm going to read Revelation 3:7 and you'll see why this type is fulfilled in the coming redeemer Jesus Christ. Listen to these words. And the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulder so he shall open and none shall shut and he shall shut and none shall open. Now, Revelation 3, 7 is Jesus talking to the Apostle John when he charged him to give letters to the seven churches. 
He said, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. Amen. Can you see the parallel in those two verses? In Isaiah, Isaiah's prophesying about Eliakim as a type of the coming Redeemer. In Revelation, we see that the type is fulfilled in our Redeemer, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He now holds the authority resident in the key of David. Do you see that? Wow. I think that's awesome. But if you're not convinced, just keep listening. Notice in Isaiah 22:22 that the key of David, the symbol of governmental authority, is laid upon the shoulder of the one who's been given authority over the kingdom of Judah. The Hebrew word there for shoulder means the place around the neck where burdens are born. So you could say that the burden of government was laid upon the shoulder of Eliakim in the kingdom of Judah. Amen? With that in mind, listen to what Isaiah says about our coming Messiah in Isaiah 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. There it is again. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. So in this passage, Isaiah prophesies that the burden of government would one day be placed upon the shoulder of the coming Messiah. Amen. Hallelujah. Put that together with Revelation 3-7 where Jesus says to the Apostle John that he was now the possessor of the key of David and you have the type in Eliakim fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ the righteous. Amen. Awesome. I think that's cool. But let's dig a little deeper. Something about that word shoulder. When Jesus bore his own cross on his march to Calvary, he bore that cross upon his shoulder until he received help from Simon of Cyrene. The burden of the cross was his to bear, so the price would be paid to redeem all of mankind from sin, sickness, poverty, and death. Amen? We all know that. And to restore to mankind the authority and the dominion that he lost in the fall. Amen? Jesus bore the cross on his shoulder so that one day the governmental authority given by the Father God would rest on his shoulder. Amen. Hallelujah. He paid the price to reclaim that authority and then delegate it to the church. Amen. Getting way ahead of myself. Clearly, the key of David is a messianic type that Isaiah uses to point to the greater son of David, Jesus Christ. The one who would one day hold the keys of the kingdom of heaven, a symbol of the absolute authority that would be given to him by the Father God. Amen. You know, over there in, in Matthew 28, 18, he said, All authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Glory to God. He delegated the keys of the kingdom of heaven to us so that we could use the prayer of binding and loosing because that's what the keys allow you to do. Amen. And he said to Peter, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. You know, I used to think of that as a very odd statement. I pictured gates flying through the air and coming and bashing against the church. 
That's exactly opposite of the picture that Jesus wants you to see. He wants you to know that no matter how many gates or walls the enemy erects, you have the key that can set the captives free. Amen. That's the authority that we've been given. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And I can't help but get excited about it. Listen, if you're going to argue with me whether we have that authority or not, you know, there are people who think that we don't have this kind of authority. Well, the Bible says we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Isn't that right? We have been seated in heavenly places with him. What does that mean? That's a place of authority. He has given us the keys and he wants us to use them. They're not just sitting on some key ring in heaven. He's given them to the church so we can use them. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm going to wrap this up by an example prayer of binding and loosening. A little bit of teaching to sort of prep it, but it won't take long. The thief has come to America to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus came to give America life and give it more abundantly. Amen. That's my adaptation of John 10.10 to America. And Jesus also said in Mark 3.27, this is New King James Version, no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. And then he will plunder his house. So before you can plunder the house of the devil, you got to go in there and bind the devil. So he can't do nothing when you plunder his place. Amen? Hallelujah. So Jesus says we must first bind the strong men, then we can plunder his house. Now, Satan may have set up shop here in America, but we don't have to stand for it. We can bind the strong man and his henchmen, dare I say in this day and age, his minions. And we can plunder his house so that it's, that it's rendered ineffective. Amen. Hallelujah. In Luke 10, 19, Jesus said we have authority over all the power of the enemy. Nothing's left out. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a practical example of a way that you can pray the prayer of binding and loosening for America. Amen. Hear me out. According to Luke 10, 19 and Mark 3, 27, we take authority over all the power of the enemy and we bind any spirits trying to undermine the righteousness of America through lies, half-truths, distortions, and misinformation through the media through our education system, through the sports and entertainment industry, through our business and technology industries, and through our churches. We cancel every assignment against our government, our infrastructure, our leaders, and against our people through outright physical attacks in Jesus' name. Furthermore, according to Psalm 103.20 and Mark 3.27, we loose the angels of God to go forth and plunder the house and the plans of the kingdom of darkness against our nation in all of these arenas in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. That's the way we need to be praying for America. No half measures are going to do it. We've got to stand up. We've got to use the keys that have been given to us, and we've got to bind and loose to save America in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, stay tuned next week as we continue our series on Tools of Prayer for America. Amen? Amen. We hope you enjoyed Part 2 of today's message titled, Tools of Prayer for America. If you would like to learn more about Faith Life Fellowship, 
and to access more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, you can visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington.